Would you pray with me, Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning to speak your word to us, to speak it to our minds, to plant it in our hearts, and to grow it in action and faith in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, it's great to see you on this 4th of July weekend. I hope you had a great time. We were up in the mountains, and we came back just the other day to find that people still had not run out of fireworks. And um, till like 11 or 10.30 or 11 o'clock last night, we were very thankful for that as we were trying to rest for today. Imagine that you had some uh, joy and celebrations as well. I hope it was a good and safe time for you and your family. So I've got a personal question for you this morning. I know that you're really excited about. Uh, It's very personal and certainly a question that I'm pretty sure that none of you expected to be asked and definitely not on Sunday morning during the sermon. Here's the question, are you ready? Are you a hen like a chicken, or are you a hog like a pig? Turn to your neighbor and tell them which one you are. Are you a hen or a hog? All right, raise your hand if you're a hen. Raise your hand if you're a hen. All right, there's a couple of hens. Raise your hand if you're a hog. Okay, raise your hand if you're something between the two. I don't know what that would be. Seriously, it's an important question, and it is the question that Jesus asks this morning. I bet you're wondering where I saw that. Uh, It all comes from a quirky little story. There was once a hog, a pig, and a hen, and they lived together in a barnyard. Day in and day out, they spent their lives together, but also they were members of the larger community, the town in which the farm was located. And being good members, good citizens, they were attuned to the wider needs of their town. And they were aware that the local church was doing a program, was starting a program to feed the hungry. And so the hog and the hen discussed how they could help. And the hen said, I've got it. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. Brilliant, right? And the hog thought about the suggestion and said, there's one problem with your bacon and eggs solution. For you, it only requires a contribution. But for me, it will mean total commitment. Now, that's what I expected, a groan, right? Not jokes, not my thing. But I don't know about you, but if I am an honest person, and I try to be, I am generally more chicken than I am hog, especially if I'm talking about feeding the hungry. Now, I think that it's a gospel imperative that Jesus gives us the charge to feed the hungry and to care for the poor and to uh, house and clothe and care for the widows and the orphans among us. I think that that is clear. If you read Matthew 25, you'll find it there. And yet, I can still tell you this, that I can't count how many times I've sat before a fine meal, something, whether I cooked it or whether I bought it, something that was extravagant, and I've thanked God for it. And then in the same breath, I've asked Him to help me to remember those who are less fortunate, who don't have anything to eat. What my words, what my intention is this, God, would you help me actually care for the poor? That's what I think my words mean. But if I look at my life, 
what my life says is that I'm not really that concerned about the poor. Just being honest, I'm not beating myself up. If I were really concerned for the poor, I would do more. And while I do do things, the fact of the matter is, I'd much rather be a chicken contributing from time to time than being a hog who gives my whole life for it. If you were here last week, you heard Simon uh, Gilbo, give us, Gilbo give us a sermon, and he gave us an illustration at the very end of the sermon about his grandmother. And that story, go back and listen to it online if you weren't here, but in the, at the end of her life, she decided to go back into the mission field. It was an inspirational and yet challenging story. But at the end of her life, she had spent everything that she had on communicating the gospel of God, on bringing the kingdom of God, bringing the grace of God to other people. And all she had left to leave her grandkids were some ratty old hand-knit sweatshirts, he said. She chose to exhaust every resource for God's glory to bring the kingdom of God to the world. Now, I'm not sure I would say this to her face if she were still alive, but Granny Gilbo was a hog. She was a pig. That's the contrast. That kind of contrast is what Jesus is making for us this morning in the gospel. The contrast of being his disciple, of pursuing Jesus versus pursuing the world and all its things, all its stuff. The contrast of pursuing comfort for yourself or bringing comfort to those who really need it by letting the kingdom of God, the good news of God, the resources of God to break into people's lives. It's the contrast of pursuing worldly power versus proclaiming the power of God through his son Jesus, the power of God to forgive sins. Friends, that is God's call to us. It is the call that Jesus makes to each one of you to follow him. As you follow him, let him heal you and forgive you and form you and shape you by his grace and love so that you are equipped and you are motivated to share that same grace and love with the people of the world. That is God's call. And this morning we begin a series called The Call, titled The Call. And so for the next three weeks, we'll look at the call of Jesus on our lives and where it's going to lead us. Excuse me, where it's going to lead us. There was a Christian apologist. His name was Dave Hunt. And he set this contrast in the proper light. And he wrote this. He says, the choice that we all face is not as many imagine between heaven out there, up there, wherever, and hell. Rather, the choice is between heaven and the way of the kingdom versus the world. Even a fool would exchange hell for heaven, but only the wise will exchange the world for heaven. Friends, our call is not simply to listen to what Jesus says, but to answer it with our very lives to actually follow him. And I ask you this morning, will you exchange the world for God's kingdom? That, my friends, is the journey of discipleship. 
And this morning, we're going to eavesdrop on two or three conversations, three short vignettes, really, of would-be disciples, each one who has a slightly different issue with following Jesus. And as you look at Luke chapter 9, if we were to have printed it all, it would have been long. It would have been 62 verses. But if you were to look at the whole of chapter 9, you would see this journey of discipleship taking place, of it unfolding. At the very beginning... Jesus takes the 12 disciples and he sends them out into the world. He said, go out into the world. I give you my authority. I give you my power. And I want you to go out and do the stuff that I've been doing. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to cast out demons. And I want you to heal sickness. I want you to bring the kingdom to the world. And so the 12 disciples, they go out and they do it. And they come back and they're pretty surprised that all of those things happened. That the demons listened to them that people were healed, that the actual, the things that Jesus does, the kingdom that God brings in, he's sending them out to do. And the the thing is, is that throughout the the history of the Christian church, we have believed that what Jesus says to the 12, he will later in the next chapter say to the 72, and then in the Great Commission, he will say to us all, to each one of us today in 2019, that we are to go with his power and his authority into the world. But not only that, but as Jesus sends them out, they see this happening. And then Jesus shows them what it looks like. He, in the middle of the chapter, he feeds 5,000 people. What it means to bring the kingdom of God to the world. He feeds 5,000 people. Then we hear Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. It is the core confession that we all make. And then In verse 23, after making a broader invitation to other people, Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For us to be Jesus' followers is to deny ourselves and pick up what Jesus is doing. To choose the kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of the world, over our own little castles to answer the call to follow him and so he gives us three examples this morning and teaches us that teaches us three things about being his disciple the first thing he teach us teaches us is that we need right understanding the second thing he need that we need is right perspective and then the third is right focus so the first thing right understanding it's just six verses you can look with me there the first would-be disciple of Jesus in our passage this morning is somebody who is willing but ignorant. He doesn't know what he's signing up for. He comes up to Jesus, presumably having heard a call to follow him, and he says this, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I imagine that Jesus, knowing he's going to the cross, right, he's going to death, might actually chuckle himself a little bit, like, you don't really know what you're saying. See, at that time, it was not uncommon for Jewish, uh, for in the Jewish faith, for people to follow a certain rabbi. If you, uh, if you were uh, someone's disciple, if you were a teacher, a rabbi, and somebody was following you, it would be for them a position of honor to be the teacher's disciple. And the more impressive the teacher you have, the more prestigious it was to be their disciple. Now, Jesus has done many miracles. He's just done... He has been teaching. He's been throwing the the religious establishment on his head. 
And it's not surprising, having done all this stuff, that uh, somebody would come up and go, man, hey, you're pretty good. You're probably the best I've seen. I'm going to be your disciple. But Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to make sure you know what that involves. And so it's sort of a word of correction. It's a word of teaching. And he says this, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to be very prestigious. It means that you're going to be homeless. It means that you're not going to have all the things. It's not a position of power. It's not a position of influence. Often, it is socially unacceptable. It's not one of those in which you're going to focus on gaining more stuff because you're smarter and people want to hear from you. And it's likely going to involve rejection. You're choosing the way of the kingdom over the ways of the world. Perhaps you've experienced some of this yourself. Being Jesus' disciple means that you have to live counterculturally from the world's standards. You do different things with your money. You do different things with your time. You do different things with your life. Answering the call requires right understanding. Second thing Jesus does is he tells us that the life of discipleship, answering the call, means having right perspective. The second would-be disciple answers Jesus' call to follow me in verse 59 this way. He goes, let me first go and bury my father. What he wants to do is the, are the things that he's grown up supposed to the things that he's supposed to do, the things that are culturally appropriate. Basically, he wants to live by the old way of doing things. Even while the kingdom of God is breaking in in miraculous powers, there are healings, there's forgiveness of sins, there are these miracles, he wants to live the old way of life. And what Jesus says is this, is that following me, following me is going to necessarily change your perspective. It must redefine what you prioritize. It redefines who you are and what you are to do. It's so different that it dictates tossing out old conventions. And Jesus calls you to replace the old social norms with the new way of the kingdom. And what he tells this guy is he says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. See, the old way of doing things, the old things that we do all the time, pursuing wealth and pursuing security, pursuing status, pers- none, of those things, you know, none of those things are necessarily bad in ourselves, but they become useful for us to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, God's given you everything so that you might join him in what he calls us to do. It's going to change your perspective to the world. That's what Jesus is telling the second disciple. Go and proclaim the kingdom. And finally, it demands right focus. If the first person was willing and unknowing, the second person might be knowing but unwilling, the third person is indecisive. That's usually where I fall. Indecision, right? He says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first, blah, blah, blah. And to this, Jesus says basically this message. Friends, if you have mixed motives, 
If you have mixed love, if you have mixed attention, following Jesus versus loving the world, you're trying to keep a foot in both camps. Here it's represented by having to go back and saying farewell. What Jesus says is you're bound to get off track. And he uses this agricultural reference. I'm sure that you all get it because you just came into church from plowing your fields this morning. But um, he says this. He goes, nobody who sets their hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom. Basically, he says this, is that if you're going to look back, you're going to get off track. You're going to get messy and out, out of order. I know this from a fact. I was on the interstate yesterday, and I don't have one of those fancy newfangled cars with sensors everywhere that keeps me in my lane. And I look over to the side, and I look at a billboard, or I look at a sign, and what happens? I start drifting, right? It happens every time. When I was a kid, I worked on a golf course in college, and the thing I love about golf courses are all the pretty lines. Those are made by people with a lot of talent and a lot of concentration. And the way you do it, and I've cut many a fairway and cut many a greens, the way you do it is you line up your mower on the edge of the last stripe, and you pick something at the very end of the fairway, like that clock, if, I'm, if this is the fairway. And I look at that clock, and I look at that tree, and I keep my eyes concentrated on it, and I'm going to keep my head straight, and I'm never going to look back. Because the moment I get distracted, I drift. The moment I look back, the line looks like this. Looks like I had too many drinks at lunch. And um, that's how you do it. You remain intently focused on the point at the end. And what Jesus says is this. If you want to be my disciple, I must be your sole focus. I'm bringing you the sole salvation, the only salvation you can have. And you have to be focused on me. You have to. Now, friends, if you have never been focused on Jesus, you haven't decided to follow him, I invite you to follow him today. Just begin to look at him. Start opening up the Word of God, reading it. Join a life group. Start studying the Bible so that you can see what Jesus is doing in the world and you can join it. Now, for most of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. And if you're like me, you look backwards, right, and you see this in your life in Christ, right? You're like you mowed over the trees and the shrubs and you all of these things have happened. The purpose of me saying that is not for you to feel guilty, but for you to be focused on Christ. There's a, a woman named uh, Elizabeth, uh, excuse me, uh, named Elizabeth Elliot, and she was a missionary to Ecuador, and she uh, she eventually served the very tribe that had killed her missionary husband. And she wrote this uh, in the biography of her husband. She says this, One does not surrender your life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. Jesus knows that it's going to take you a lifetime to follow him. He knows that behind you is going to be this wayward stripe of turf and grass and debris. But he wants you to follow him. He wants you to follow him because he knows it is good for you. The life of the disciple is about following him. And he knows that for you to truly follow him, 
you're going to need to know what that life looks like. And that's what he tells us this morning. It's countercultural. It's sacrificial. It's being a hog and not a chicken. It's giving everything we have for his kingdom and his purpose. And he knows it's going to take the right perspective. He knows it's going to be challenging to our social conventions. He knows that he wants us to bring the kingdom. And he knows that it's going to be demanding. It's going to take concentration on him. Last week, Simon, or we ended the service with a reading from The Last Battle. That's the last book in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And one of the characters that C.S. Lewis writes in there is this, uh, this uh, uh, unicorn named Jewel. And as Jewel entered into the new Narnia, the new kingdom, the new world, this is what Jewel says. This is the land I have been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it until now. I want to come further up and further in. Friends, the kingdom of God is the land of true freedom. It's the freedom from the, the burdens of our materialism, from our debt, our com- competition with the Joneses. It's the land of real purpose. The, the uh, answer to the question, what are we here for? Is there more to life than climbing ladders and collecting stuff and storing stuff? Instead, you're looking at how you can use all that God's given you for the kingdom to bring others to you. And for this, this morning and over the next three weeks, I want to invite you to follow him, to learn about where he is leading you and how he wants to shape you. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you that you have called us to follow you, that you've given us freedom in you. We ask that you would equip us to be your disciples, that you would help us to have the right understanding of what that means, that you would help us to carry the right perspective when we look at the world and what it's what it's calling us to, that we would choose to follow you, and that we would have the right focus, that as it is demanding, that we would keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask you to equip us for this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.